Romans chapter 3. So two guys were on a beach in the middle of summer, and they had been partying too much. Let's just say they were wasted. And they looked down the beach, and they saw a fellow mate from class, from school, that was walking down the beach, and they knew that he was an athlete. They knew he was a, a champion-level swimmer. And they called out to him and said, hey, why don't you come party with us? Because they knew he was not a partier. They knew he was always the, the guy that was on the outside. In fact, they knew they thought of him as a goody two-shoes, okay? I know some of you have been there. And he comes walking by, and they say, come party with us. And he says, you know, no. I'm an athlete. I'm in training. I've got to be careful what I put in my body. I don't do that stuff. And they say, well, you just think you're better than us, right? In his mind, he's thinking, yeah. But, you know, they're like, come on. You just think you're better than us. And in their boldness, because of their imbibement, they said, hey, hey, we want to challenge you to something. You think you're all that. You see that island out there? I bet we can swim there faster than you can. He says, okay, what's it worth to you? The guy held up his keys to his car. He said, well, we'll even put some good stuff on it. And the guy's thinking easy money because after all, I'm a championship swimmer. So they get out and they start running into the waves and they're getting into the waves and about 60 feet out, one of them was so drunk, he forgot he didn't know, didn't know how to swim and he drowned. A little bit further, the other guy is he's going at it. And he's out 100 yards, 200 yards. He's out in the surf, getting out there and all of a sudden the, the current takes over. He wears out and he drowns. But the champion swim, swimmer, he's going. I mean, his body's in tune. He's making it out there. But he also misjudged the current. And about, about 300 yards from the island, his body finally gave out. There was no one to help him there. And he drowns. And my question to the story is, is any one of them more drowned than the other? No. Is any one of them more dead than the other? No. You see... It, it, we've been learning through Romans 1, 2, and 3 that religious people who do everything right in their own eyes and count on their own morality are no more found than the pagan who lives in their sensuality, hoping that their own morality makes them right with God. We've been walking through this marvelous letter from the Apostle Paul, and some of you groan when I said, here we are again, because these early chapters have been rough. Can I get a yes to that? Because they pretty much tell us we're all in the same boat. If our trust is in ourselves, we're drowning. If, if our trust is that someday we're going to be better than our neighbor and that's what counts, we are drowning. If, if, our, if our hope is we're just going to live like nothing matters and someday God's just going to receive us all in, can I tell you, we are drowning. Paul, throughout this scripture, has been trying to get us to see that we are equally lost, we're equally condemned, and according to the verse 9 of chapter 3, we are equally under the bondage of sin. Pick it up in Romans 3, verse 9. He says, what should we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, and he quotes about six psalms, and, 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 and he quotes the book of Isaiah here. He says, there is no one righteous, not even one. Sin, sin impacts every part of our lives. He said, there's no one who understands. Our minds have been darkened by sin. There is no one who seeks God without Christ. Our motives are selfish. They're all about us. In fact, he said, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. We are willfully wandering through life if Christ is not the center of our lives. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. 
Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Even our speech is affected by sin. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. Can I tell you, outside of Christ, sin runs our relationships with other people. Sin enters in and our selfishness, our greed, our arrogance breaks down the very relationships God made us for. And he said in verse 17, in the way of peace, they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There is no relationship with God when sin rules our lives. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. You say, Mike, we get it. We've been through the first four sermons. We, we, we understand that. We, we've, been, we've been focusing on that, that we are all broken at some point by sin. That none of us can, can look at the Scripture, can look at God's Word or the life of Christ and say, oh, we can do that. We got that down. We're, we're good. Don't worry about us. Because we're all brought in that same boat that says we need a Savior. Paul is saying, look, we may be better than some others, we think, but compared to Christ and the claims of the law, it's not enough. There is no one righteous, no, not one. And all through history, man has tried to make himself right by, by God, by what he does. I mean, all through history, from the, from the time of the fall in the garden, man has always been trying to build this spiritual resume out of, their, out of his works, out of his morality out of his being nicer than his neighbor and and in hoping that hoping that someday when they present it to god god's going to say you did enough come on in but yeah that's not how it works you're all familiar with resumes right we've all done them you you always list your best attributes you don't put on your resume i show up late i have a bad attitude and after all i don't get along with people so hire me at least I hope you don't do that. Maybe it's why you're unemployed. I don't know. But you shouldn't do that, okay? We put our best stuff on there. Man, we are a team player even if we don't like people, right? We, we, we love meetings. Oh, we just love meetings. They're so awesome. You know, we, we just lay it all out there. Why? Because we don't want anything to disqualify us from the job, and we hope that everything about us qualifies us for that job. And yet every religion, every culture has tried to approach God in the same way. God, let us, show us, let us show you only the things that are good about us because, God, we want to be accepted by you. God, let us show you only the things that make us, in our minds, righteous because, God, we don't want to be disqualified from knowing you. Yet all through history, man has come into the place where, where, the, where the, the judgment is before God and taking that resume of works and, and handing it up, you know, and the Father figuratively saying, here, accept me, only to have our God take the resume, put it in the shredder, and say, there is none righteous, no, not one. I know to the religion in us, which we all have a little bit of it, it shakes us. Because after all, we're nice. We're good people. We don't kick our dog. We don't, you know, we, we drop 20 bucks in the plate every once in a while. We don't hurt anybody. And we're a whole lot better than my neighbor who's sitting right next to me right now. And we turn to God and say, accept us. And he says, there's none righteous. No, not one. And all through these first few chapters of Romans, it just makes us walk away. We're like, well, what do you do then? What, I mean, we, we've done our best. We've tried in our own efforts to be everything we can that God would accept us, but it's just not enough. But in Romans 3, 21, everything changes with two little words. With two little words, Paul flips the script in this marvelous letter to show us 
that God has a better way. And those two words are, but now. But now. Before we read the scripture, here's what happens in that but now. You see, as we come to God, we take our spiritual resume and we, we give up to God our works, our acts, our kindness, all that. And he says, nope, not, not unrighteous, not on one shred. And we're walking off. He says, but now, turn around, come back. I want to show you something. I've made a way for you where there is no way. I have done something for you to make you righteous. You just need to understand how to get there. And how to accept that. You see, God would look at the one who's walking away in despair because their goodness is not good enough. And he says, look, do you have faith in me? Do you want to be in fellowship with me? Do you believe my son Jesus was sent to die for your sins and, and, and rise from the grave to conquer all those things that control your life like sin and fear? Are you ready to recognize that you're not good enough and you never will be? in your humanity to come into my presence. In that moment, we humbly go, yeah, yeah. So God whips out another resume. It's his resume. Everything about him is perfect. Everything about him is good. There is no sin in him. There's no lying. There's no change. He is, the, he is God. He's the creator of the universe. Everything about him is perfect. He whips out another resume and says, by your faith, let me show you something. He whips out a, a permanent marker. And on the top of his resume where it says, God born, never. He, he begins to race it all out. Then he takes out another marker that's filled with the blood of Jesus. And he begins to write your name on his resume. And he turns around after your name is on God's resume. He hands it back to you and says, now step back, turn around, and now offer that to me by faith. And when we do, we're like, God, that's too easy. God, that, that, that doesn't make sense. It's too good to be true. And he says, no, 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 listen, by faith, this is now who you are. This is now your record received by grace. And if you will turn it back into me, now you are accepted. Now you are righteous. Now you come into fellowship with God. But now, say, Mike, where do you get that right here? But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. In other words, everything from the Old Testament, everything from the past was looking for this day where you and I have this marvelous gift. In verse 22, he said, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. If you ever wonder if you're different, if you ever wonder if you're special, remember that verse. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And he goes on and says, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that, that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. But now, no more powerful words have ever been written in scripture. But now. But now everything changes. But now everything moves differently. But now everything comes alive. You see, whenever you study the writings of the Apostle Paul, whether you study through Romans or through the epistles, he always has this emphasis on, on then versus now. 
He always has this emphasis on what was before Christ and what was after Christ. You see, in the then, before Christ, everything was happening against us. Everything was on our own works. Everything was on our own goodness. And yet there was no hope found in that. But now, after the death of Christ, everything by his resurrection has been made new. Did you know that when Jesus died, the veil of separation that kept us apart from God ripped in two? And we could come into the throne room with access and say, Father, here we are. Did you know that when Jesus died and rose from the grave, this ideal of personal salvation became a reality by grace through faith? Not of works, lest that we boast. Did you know that when Jesus rose from the grave, the power of sin was broken? The curse of death was broken. All those things that we fear on the earth was broken by the power of Christ because he came in strength and he opened up the way for us to have eternity with him. You see, we all need a but now moment. We all need to let go of what was and take hold of what is. We all need a but now moment to stop trying somehow to attain the righteousness of God by our own efforts and let God work in us so that we have a then and a now. You see, the Apostle Paul had a big then and now, didn't he? We studied about it. Then before Christ, the Apostle Paul was a bad dude. He was bad. He was a murderer. He was a religious zealot. He was going out, killing people in the name of God, killing the followers of Jesus Christ, thinking he was doing God a, a, a good service. That was then. But one day he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. One day he had this uh, moment where God showed up and, and Jesus revealed himself in a way that, you know, we don't want that kind of revelation of Jesus that knocks you off whatever you're riding. But can I tell you, some of us need a then and now, like Paul, to wake up to the fact that Jesus is everything. And we are not. Jesus showed him the way, and Paul, the apostle Paul, became about. He was Saul, but even changed the name to Paul, and he became an apostle, a bondservant of Jesus, proclaiming the gospel to all of us. Listen, gang, there's a then and now we live every day. Before Christ, I was lost in the, in the trespasses of my sin. Before Christ, I was dead in that. But now we are alive, and we are alive forevermore. In the then, we were under the law. You know what the law does? It frustrates us. Because there's one day we get it right, and the next day we don't. Some of us, moment to moment, right? We're like, oh, we're doing good. We come out of church, we're like, oh, praise Jesus. And then we go to the restaurant, and somebody does something stupid. And before we know it, we're like speaking badly about people and wishing they would like die and get out of our way. That's our humanity. That, that's the humanity that flows in as we were frustrated by the law. But now we're under grace, raised from the dead by the gospel. Then as I once was lost, now as, but now I am found. Then as I once was blind, but now I, what? See, but now. You see, everything changes in that verse. Everything changes. In verse 22, this is the righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who, what? Believe. So what Paul is saying through these early chapters to those in Rome, both Jew and Greek, he was saying, look, all our effort, all our trying to be better, all that could not produce a righteousness in us that makes us right with God. He said, but what we need was actually provided for us by God. What could not be produced by man is provided from a man, Jesus Christ. What could not come by the law is presented as coming by grace. I know this is a bold statement and theologians may disagree with me, but I believe that the most important verses in the Bible start right there between, behind those words, but now. 
Say, Mike, that's proof, show it to me. Well, look at it. In these verses, he says, we see the nature and character of our God. He would that none would perish, but all would come to everlasting life. In these verses that follow, but now we see the depths and the destruction of sin, how it wreaks havoc in our minds, how it wreaks havoc in our bodies, our relationships, how sin just destroys. Remember, the wages of sin are what? They're death. And that death works in all of us because, again, we've not let it be given to God. In these verses, we see God's demand for righteousness. Listen, God demands righteousness. He is a just God. People are like, I just want a loving God. I don't want a just. No, you can't have a loving God without a just God. Because someday, guess what? All things will be judged. Someday, wrongs, all wrongs will be made right. We serve a just God. He demands righteousness, but then he turns around like that resume and says, you can't do it. So here, let me do it for you. And he provides righteousness, justice, grace from our Lord. I did a word study out of this this week, and I just got lost in it, so forgive me. I'm not going to geek out on you here. But if you focus through the scripture, just through Paul's writing on the word now, you see, you see the gift of Christ walked out through our lives. Follow with me. It'll be on the screen. You may want to take some notes if you're on you version. But Romans 5, 9 says this. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Now. Now we've been, what, justified. That's one of those stained glass words that we just say, yeah, that's cool, but we don't know what it means. Justified, justification is a powerful word. It, it means more than what you think. So many people think that justification means we've been found innocent before God. Can I tell you, there is nothing innocent about us, right? Nod your head, or I'm going to tell the story of the guys drowning in the surf again, because... <laughs> If you don't believe that, you're the, you're the cocky swimmer that thinks he's got it down, all right? We, we, we were not just found innocent. When we are justified, we are now seen by God as if we never did anything in the first place. So standing before the judge and being declared innocent, the judge is going, what are you doing here? You shouldn't even be in the courtroom because you've been justified freely by Jesus, by the grace of Jesus Christ. In Romans 5, 11, he says, not only this so, but... We also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now God is our, our Heavenly Father that we don't fear, but He's our Heavenly Father we run to. You see, religion makes us run from Him, but relationship makes us run to Him. And now we have that reconciliation with our Father again through Jesus Christ. In Romans 6, he says, But now you've been set free from sin. And it becomes slaves. There's that word bond slave again. Let me give you a quick uh, two-minute uh, definition. Bond slave is, I have every right to be free, but I choose to serve that one. I have every right to be free, but I choose to serve that master. And that's what Paul was, and that's what we are. We are free, but yet we choose to serve God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. How can we not surrender to a God like this? How, how can we not see that he has given us everything. We, we, we talk about holiness as if it's our own efforts. Oh, I've got to be better. I've got to stop cussing so much. I've got I've to do better. I've got to have a better attitude. But here's the thing we need to understand. When God imparts his righteousness to us, when we take his resume as our own, not only are we positionally okay with God, now his righteousness begins to work through us and in us. And you wonder why over time it's like, huh, I think differently. 
Huh, I wonder what changed. I, my speech has gotten better. You know what? I treat my wife better. I treat my kids better. Why? Because God's righteousness is working in us. It's the power of God. It's not just because you're more self-disciplined or better than anybody else. In Romans 8, 1, y'all been waiting me to get to chapter 8. That's when Romans takes off for most people. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's a great place for an amen, somebody. Come on. There is therefore now no condemnation. So when you're getting beat up, because of your flesh, when you're getting beat up because of your mistakes, when you're beat up before your failure and you're feeling that guilt and shame, can I tell you something? That is the condemnation from the pit of hell. That is Satan lying to you, saying you never have an out. But that is different than when the Holy Spirit convicts us. He says, I love you enough to point this out to you. And guess what? I've already given you the solution. It's the blood of Jesus. And we rejoice. He says in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6, 2, 4, he says... In the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I help you. I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Church, it is time. What he's saying, it's time to step out of the then of your life and, and come into the now of God's grace. It is a but now moment. He says, this is the day. He says, that was then, this is now. And can I tell you, we need that in every aspect of our lives. For some of us, our marriages, our, our relationships need a but now moment. Up to this point, we've done all we can do in our own strength, in our own ways, in our own thoughts, in our own history and all that. And we wonder why we struggle so much because we haven't yet given it over to God and die to the thought that somehow we make everything right and trust him now to make all things right. We need a but now moment in our relationships. For some, you need a but now moment in your finances. I just never have enough. I can't seem to get over. I, I'm always behind. I can't get there. And God says, you know what? Everything is mine. Everything. Unless we trust God with everything, guess what? We don't have the blessing of God on everything. And we need a but now moment. God, that was then. This is now. Some of you need to have a but now moment concerning your kids. Boy, I got quiet. Because you know who the best parent is who loves them more than you do? our heavenly father and he has ways of showing us how to love through the mercy and grace he's given us and yet we get back to where it's all on us it's all our duty it's all everything we come up with and we wonder why we struggle with that we need a but now moment with our kids god help all the lawnmower bulldozer snowplow parents there are in the world right now get out of the way and let god build up your kid to love him and know him, even if it means going through some hard things in life. Amen, Pastor. That was awesome preaching. Just got to say, come on. That was, yeah, I put that on the, yeah, that was good. Right? You see, everything is there was a then and there is a now. But we have a choice whether we live in the then or whether we live in the now. Some of you are worried about your degrees, your career, your future. Can I tell you, the steps of the righteous are what? They are ordered by God. But yet we freak out, we're all built, built out in stress and anxiety and all this stuff because what's going to happen in the future? I don't know. But I serve the one who does know. And I choose to trust an uncertain future to a certain God who knows where he's going, who knows where he's taking me, who knows my steps. He's ordered them for me and I can choose to follow him or I can choose just to freak out all the time. 
and make everybody else's life miserable around me. See, we need a but-now moment. Some of us concerning our past need a but-now moment. You keep living it over and over and over again. You get into church, and all of a sudden, all your past comes up, and you're like, oh, I didn't want to go to church because my past just keeps coming up, and I, I don't want to rewind that, that picture again and again and again. Can I tell you why that's happening? Because you've never had a but-now moment where you said to God, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, but the new has now come. Church, we need a but-now moment today. Because if not, we are all caught back in the cycles that kept us in bondage instead of walking in the freedom that God has for us. Paul wanted the Romans, and he wanted us today to see that we have a loving Heavenly Father who wants us in relationship, who wants to, to give us His righteousness, to know Him and experience in His love. But yet too many of us are still building our relationship just like the, the, the original hearers of this message. Those who were in fear. They were in fear of the Roman authority, so morality became their thing. Let's just be good enough so they don't kill us. Or those who are putting their hope in the temple. Let's just be religious enough. Let's give enough. Let's do enough. Let's show up enough that somehow we're okay. It's all fear-based. It has nothing to do with the grace that God has given us today. That's why Paul said in Ephesians 2, 13, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In his letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9-10, through 10, he kind of sums it all up. He says, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who's destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. But now, that was then, this is now. I, I don't know about you, but I want to live in the now. I want to live in the but now moment. I want to live in the place where, you know what, my sins are not held against me any longer. I want to live in that but now place where the power of the Holy Spirit dwells in me. When I walk, it's not in my own strength. When I talk, it's not in my own strength. When I make decisions, it's not in my own wisdom. Why? Because God is now my Father and my Lord. Let me ask you something. Can you define your life with a then and now? Can you honestly say there's a moment somewhere, someplace where... You chose to yield everything to God, and now you live in that but now where that was then, this is now. Because if not, can I tell you, today's the day of salvation. Today's the day to come and know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's not waiting for you to jump through a hoop and say, good boy, good girl. He's not waiting for you to join an organization. He's not looking at your heredity. He's not looking at your family. He's looking at you and saying, come, I created you. And I created you for relationship and fellowship. Sin messed it all up, but I took care of sin. But I love you enough that I've given you a choice. You can live in the then or you can live in the now. It's up to you because I made that but now moment available when Jesus Christ died and rose from the grave. You see, we need that but now moment. You say, well, my, why, why is this so important? Why, why, why would God take so much time to lead this out through Paul? Why would the Holy Spirit lead him to write this to us? Because I... Can I tell you very simply, God hates sin. He hates what sin has done to his creation. 
He hates what sin has done to us. He hates what sin has done to his, his precious children. He hates what sin has done to his world. And, and what we have to ask ourselves is, why was God willing to let his son bear the wrath we deserve so we can be declared righteous? Only because he hates sin. And he hates what it has done to us. Listen, sin separates you and I from ourselves. We are never fully who God created us to be until we have settled the sin issue in our life and made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of all. I've shared it again and again, but I think you've got to see it. It's like when God formed you in your mother's womb in that, in that beautiful creation moment. It's like he had a, a canvas and he was painting out this beautiful picture of who you're going to be, what you're going to do on this earth, and, and all those things that make you who you are. And in the moment we come into this world through sin, it's like Satan's waiting while the paint's wet, and he just smears it all over and says, no, you're none of that. And we go through life trying to recreate that image in our own ways, in our own strength. We yield and give in to temptation. We fall into the crowd because we're trying to somehow find our identity. But can I tell you, you only come to know who you really are when Jesus Christ becomes Lord and Savior of your life. Because the moment you make that decision, he whips out the paintbrush. And he says, it's going to take a little while. But he begins to repaint around that, that mess. He begins to reshape you into the image that God saw from the beginning when he said it is good. And he made you in his own image. He hates what sin does to us. It separates us from the person God created us to be. Our thoughts, our motives, our desires are driven by the sin nature, and it leads to guilt over what we've done or not done, and that guilt turns to shame. And before long, we don't feel worthy of anything. But God made us worthy through his son, Jesus. Can I tell you, it's impossible to find contentment outside of Christ. Because everything in our sin nature says more. How much is enough? More. How much experience do you need? More. How much money do you have to have? More. It's impossible to find contentment until we know how God made us and our hearts betray that creation in us. God hates sin. He hates the fact that sin separates us from others. It destroys relationships. I mean, come on, we are selfish by nature. Every one of us. Sin destroys those things around us. James, the brother Jesus said in James chapter 4, verse 1, he said, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Why do you think marriage is hard, those that are married? Because we all married sinners, and oh, guess what? We're a sinner too. And we make it hard because outside of God, we bring our greed, our arrogance, putting my needs before your needs, keeping score, being deceitful. All those things destroy the most beautiful relationship God said we'd have on earth. God hates that. He hates the fact that sin separates us from ourselves. It separates us from others. But he also hates the fact that sin separates us from him. Because our God is a holy God. Heaven is a place for perfect people, so none of us are allowed unless we give our lives to God. And now we show up with his resume, not our resume. We, we show up with his righteousness, not our righteousness, and we find that relationship renewed again. Paul tried again and again through chapters 1 through 3 to let us know that we're in the same boat. And if there wasn't a but now moment, we'd be hopelessly lost. But now we've been redeemed. Hallelujah. 
The price has been paid through the blood of Jesus. We've been justified. We're showing up at court waiting for judgment. And God goes, what are you doing here? We, 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 we've, been, we've had an atoning sacrifice for our sins. All has been taken care of for us if we put our trust in God. So Paul concludes this chapter. He makes this dazzling presentation of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He makes this incredible representation of who God is. He paints this amazing picture of what the world actually is. And he comes to this conclusion now that he's shown us the but now moment of God's grace through his son, Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 27, okay then, so where's the boasting? It's excluded. Because of the law? No, the law requires works. No, because the law requires faith. He breaks this whole argument. He comes down and says, now, just to make sure we get it straight, let there be no boasting that our, our boasting is in the Lord. Let us get this straight. We are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, by his mercy in us. We are not better than, we are his. In our humility, we become servants of all. Why? Because our boast is not in us, it's in the Lord. You see, the things we boast in are the things that give us confidence to go out and face our day. Every one of us has a playlist in our head. Every one of us. And we've built it over life because it's what gets us through the day. But if we listen to most of our playlists, it's usually all about our strength, our way. We are the champion. I mean, you know, all that kind of stuff. That was then. But God wants to change it out because we need a better playlist. We need one that honors the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You see, the thing we boast in, the thing in which we say, I am somebody because I have that, I can beat what the world brings against me because I have that. If we see that as being us or anything outside of God, then we are missing the mark of what it means to be his followers. You see, what you boast in is what fundamentally defines you. It's where we draw our identity, our self-worth. It's that personal resume that, that we think guides our day and somehow brings us into the presence of God. And who better than Paul to step on it and say, let's talk about this. He said to the church at Philippi, he says, let me show you Paul then. And let me show you Paul now. And in Philippians chapter three, he said, this is Paul. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul says, religiously, I am perfect. I am the poster child of religion. And it got me nowhere. He says, but now, verse 7, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. There's a worse term, but in here it says garbage. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. What's he saying? He's saying, I had a button out moment. And all that stuff I thought was important is not important anymore. 
He said, I had a but now moment. All those things I used to boast about, they don't do me any good because they will not justify me. He said, but now I boast in the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ. My self-confidence has been replaced with my Christ confidence. And no matter what the world throws at me, I will not be moved. Because my God is the Lord of my life. And he's promised to care for me. He's promised to walk with me in good times and bad times. He's promised that all of me will wipe every tear away. But while I'm here, my God empowers me by his Holy Spirit. That was then. This is now. Now I don't boast, is what Paul was saying. Now we don't boast. We don't boast in, boast in our upbringing. Well, I came from a good family. Well, good for you. I don't boast in my ethnicity. I don't boast in my education or my social status or my achievement. Because all that leads to is prejudice, condensation, and hostility. God said that is not the kingdom of God. I no longer boast. I don't live in denial of my own need of grace. And when I recognize that, it frees me from being a people pleaser. Am I talking to somebody today? When I see my own need of grace, I no longer live for the applause of man. The more I am aware of my faults and failures, the more amazing and precious God's love is to me. When I sing Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, I don't sing it like, oh, that's an old song. I sing it like, oh my gosh, who wrote that song? That is perfect. Because only through His grace, I am who I am. And now I don't live in anxiety, because I truly have no fear. Because the world can take everything away from me, but it cannot take from me Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So let me ask you, are you living in the then or the now? When did you have your but now moment? All this that Paul was teaching, this greatest book, this greatest letter ever written by most biblical theologians, this book of Romans, this one moment, 321, everything changes. But it reminds us that in our lives, there's got to be a place where everything changes. We don't just slide into faith. We don't slide into righteousness. We don't somehow trip over it one day and fall. I don't know how that happened, but now I'm righteous. No, there is a purpose, there's a place, there's a time. And every one of us needs to know when that is. Church, let me tell you. We live in a day you need to know whether you're living in the then and now. Because Jesus is coming soon. But even if he delays his return for millennia, can I tell you, we need to live in the but now moments because only in that do we become who God created us to be. Only in that do we become the witnesses this world needs. Only in that do we finally discover what it is to walk in peace and the joy that we all seek. And Paul nailed it when he said, here's how you get it. We're going to pray, close in just a moment. Galatians 2.20. You can almost hear the people around Paul as he was pinning this verse and sharing it with others like, hey, weren't you Saul? Weren't you the guy that was like, you know, holding the robes for everybody so they could kill Stephen, you know, back in the days? Remember that? Hey, weren't you Saul, the guy who, who had papers from, the, from the, the chief priest to go out and kill people with impunity? Weren't you that guy? And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. Because I had a but now moment and now I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live. I no longer am that person before Christ. My identity changed in the moment I received Christ as my Lord and Savior. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself 
for me. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Church, listen, this morning, somebody needs a but now moment, but you've got to decide. Somebody needs a but now moment, but you've got to choose. Are you ready to surrender it all to God? Or are you still building your own resume, hoping someday God will accept you? Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, I thank you that, Lord, your word is true. And God, in our weakness, you are made strong, God. And God, in your presence, we find joy, God, and peace. And Lord, I ask today, oh God, that Lord, your Holy Spirit, is, as you've been just moving over our hearts all week long, all our lives, oh God, been moving, drawing us to you, God. Father, I pray this morning, God, that we would have that moment with you, God, where we would say, the old is gone, the new has come. God, I pray that we would all be able to say, that was then, this is now. Begin to walk in the newness of life that's found in you, Lord. So God, I ask you to help us. God, I ask you to help us to respond to your love today. God, I ask you to help us to receive your grace, oh God, and no longer strive, God, to, Lord, just to prove that we are better, God, but Lord, to, to love people, to show them your love. Maybe you're here today and just in a moment of honesty and integrity, you're like, I need a but now moment. I really do. I need to settle it once and for all. I'm living in the then. I'm looking for the now of Christ Jesus. Maybe you're already there in your faith, but yet in your relationships, your marriage, you need a, you need a but now moment where you just give it all to God. You surrender. God wants to make you new. God wants to make you a new husband, a new wife. Your answer is not a new husband or new wife. It's you becoming a new husband or new wife. Maybe it's in your family and your kids and you've just really been praying for them, trying to shape everything for them. Listen, pray that they have a button-out moment. Pray that, that they come to understand the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Model that every day. I feel this so strongly as I was writing this week. Some of you need to put your past in the past. And you need to stop talking about it. You need to stop glorifying it. You need to stop giving it room because Christ died. That you're no longer defined by your past the moment you put your trust in Him and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You say, well, Mike, my past is full of hurt and pain. Well, then give that to the one that can heal it because you can't heal it. Well, my past made me who I am. No, it brought you to this moment. But when you give everything to God, He will then show you who you truly are.